Spoilers ahead. Spoilers ahead. Hello, fellow normal Earth humans. Welcome to Max Mike Movies, the show that by no means involves the conquest of your miserable planet. I mean our miserable planet. I mean, anyway. <clears throat> well week... played, pod breath. <laughs> this week we continue with our series, Then and Now, or Now and Then. Well, anyway, Now Then, <sighs> wherein we examine a classic or near-classic movie and one or more of its remakes. We compare, contrast, co-mingle, co-executive produce, and cocoa butter our way through them. Ooh, cocoa butter. Mm. This Does week... it have shea in it? <laughs> Is it what? Shea butter. I, don't I still don't know what they milk to make a shea. Yeah, and I don't sh- think I want to know. I really don't. And this week it's the classic science fiction thriller Invasion of the Body Snatchers. The original from 1956 and the first, and generally considered the best, remake from 1978. I am your definitely not a pod host, Max Levine. I too am not a pod. Oh, <laughs> Mike Loose, not a pod. Well That's done. not my name. I'm just making a statement. <laughs> well oh, done. crap, I blew it. <laughs> <laughs> Philip J. Fry. <laughs> yeah. So, so Ignore that pot in the corner. It doesn't mean a thing. Worst invasion ever. <laughs> so, yes, we are talking about Invasion of the Body Snatchers. The Show. Based on the novel The Body Snatchers by Jack Finney in 1954. We all remember Jack Finney from his other works. Anyway, the uh, this by the way the uh, this film has been remade, uh, I believe, four times. What? Oh yeah, there have been uh, there well sorry three remakes and the original. What? Yeah. In, I only know uh, of one. No no no. There in uh, 1993 there was one called Body Snatchers, which we all remember. No, we don't. And in 2007, there was one called The Invasion. Apparently, they were only allowed each to use half the title. Uh, The Invasion is only notable because it stars Nicole Kidman and Daniel Craig. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I actually saw that one, I think. That good, huh? Well, the only thing I remember in it was it had Nicole Kidman and Daniel Craig. Let me guess. Was at some point Nicole Kidman naked? No, no. Nicole Kidman oh. doesn't do a lot of nude scenes. Was at any point Daniel Craig naked? No, I'm sure you would have oh. liked that. And hell, that would have made it more interesting even to me. But it Wow, was... I didn't know. I thought it was just, the... I only knew of the one remake. Yeah, no, no. And there is supposedly yet another one in development now. Oh, well, good. Because <laughs> um... we need a fifth or fourth or something. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm glad we picked the ones we did. Yeah, uh, honestly... The 1978 remake is considered by a lot of film critics to, to be one of the best remakes, period, of any movie. Huh. Yeah. Well, we'll see about that. Yes, we will, because what are they Pod know? brother. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, pod being designate Mike Loose. <laughs> here, here, lean against this couch cushion. It's not a pod. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this movie... Whatever you may think of it, or either of them, it's a ma- it was a major cultural. Uh, it had a tremendous cultural effect. Hell, the term "pod person" that's what brought it into the lexicon. Wait, are you saying that this film's responsible for pod people? Yes, that uh, with, horrible uh, movie. Yes, with Trumpy, <laughs> who took a Trumpy dumpy. <laughs> well, I'm sure it was at least 
responsible for the title. <laughs> or, the, excuse me, the English title. Wasn't that movie, like, actually Italian? I wasn't... The English was not their first language, no. No, no I, I thought the whole thing was dubbed. Uh, it was, especially the kid. <laughs> mm. Okay, Trumpy, I'm a little kid now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm certainly not a woman pitching my voice funny. No. Uh, yeah, and for those who haven't seen it, oh, that's everyone. Yeah. Uh, it was an episode of uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000. It's worth watching for them, but don't watch it on your own, Oh, Lord, you? no. <laughs> Right, so uh, are are you heading into trivia, or are we doing plot first? Well, first, let's we're, we're going to uh, focus on the uh, 1956 movie first. We'll do trivia and such there. A couple of things Ooh. about that. This was uh, directed by Don Siegel, uh, who is best who is at the before this was best known for mostly doing crime movies and westerns. He does also have the distinction he directed the first Dirty Harry movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, we have the stars, and I use the term loosely. Mm. Kevin McCarthy, famous for this, and believe me, he milked it because he shows up. Not only will mention he shows up in the sequel, he shows up playing, in effect, the same character. Uh, I hate having to say it, in Looney Tunes back in action. <laughs> yes, there is. The one scene I, I watched this movie by the so you the rest of you you don't have to. <laughs> that's our that's our thing. We we watch movies so they don't have to. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, the, describing the movie is pointless, but there's a sequence where they end up in what is effectively an Area Fifty One type place, and it's full of all of these actual creature effects from and monsters from old movies. You know, the Brain Eaters, Robbie the Robot is there, and at one point. They have Kevin McCarthy, and they it's either the makeup or the way they've shot him. He's still in black and white, and he's hes clutching <laughs> a huge seed pod, and he's sort of mumbling, you're next, you're next. <laughs> it was actually, that is the only entertaining part of the movie. There, I just saved you however much it would cost to rent it. Well, of course, he did break out of that uh, stereotyping by being in UHF. Oh, that's so, right. He plays you know, the bad guy Weird in Al's Weird movie. Al's movie. I, yeah, I forgot that. Yes. Uh but we have a couple of other well, known actors. Well, Dana Winter. In this. I don't know what she, what else she did. The only one that I know of, and maybe you've spotted someone else, was Carolyn Jones, better known yes, as Morticia, Morticia Adams. Adams. Yes. Yeah, I did see somebody Ooh. else that I recognize, uh, Richard Deacon. Oh, he is known. He was best known for playing oh, Mel Cooley. On I the do Dick actually want to mention that that is right. Actually, in the uh, framing pieces, <laughs> as it were. Uh, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll get. Yeah, we'll get to that pieces. in the uh, in my in my trivia section. Uh, the budget was about $400,000, and the thing was filmed in 19 days. Cast and crew worked six days with Sundays off. The production went over schedule by three days because of night-for-night -night shoots. Thank you. I appreciate that. Day-for-night looks like ass. Ooh, yes. Did I say ass? Oh, I guess I just did. <laughs> you just did, yep. And uh, the gr worldwide gross was $3 million. Dang. So that was, per so for a movie like that, it was remarkably successful. Yeah. Now, this movie, as I say, it's it's uh, whatever else you think of it, it has been very significant. In 1994, it was selected for preservation in the U.S. National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being, quote, culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. I think they're just trying to throw us off. It's like, see, this is fiction. It's not real. <laughs> yes, we haven't really been taken over by pods. Ha, ha, how funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, apparently, originally, the film had a lot more humor in it. 
There, were, there was some. I mean, in the initial parts, you know, the banter between uh, Becky and uh, Kevin McCarthy. I always forget his character's <laughs> I name. His name either. David, I think. I think it's uh, David. David. Adams. David. <laughs> Why am I sending my mother to Atlanta? <laughs> There's actually a connection to that for the second film, but we'll get there. Yep, yep. Uh, however, much most of the uh, film's original humor and humanity was cut when the test audiences found it difficult to follow and laughed at the wrong moments. Mm. The, st- the studio really got involved at this point and insisted it being uh, cut up a lot because it wasn't policy to mix humor with what was effectively horror. And here, you know, I usually frown on that kind of thing, but I don't think humor would have worked in this film any Not more me. of it would have worked at all. No, I, I think it might have been true. Oh, speaking also of famous people who are in it, there is one scene where uh, they hear noise in the basement, and it turns out to be the gas reader, the meter oh, yeah. man. That was Sam Peckinpah. <laughs> Mr. Sam, Sam Peckinpah. <laughs> Those of you who don't know, was a famous director. A lot of westerns, but also I believe his big thing is Bonnie and Clyde. I thought it was Garden Club. <laughs> <laughs> he's he is famous for at he was kind of the quentin tarantino of his time in yeah. that he was very, his st- films were very very bloody yeah. for, especially for his time uh one of the other i don't want to go into too much because you know we've got two movies to cover yeah but two things i do want to mention is of course what we see the original film ending the original film doesn't have the bracket pieces where uh, Miles, oh, it's Miles, I have it written down, Miles oh, J. Bennell is in a hospital and they're you know trying to tell, and the whole movie is him telling the story of what had happened. And at the end, there's basically proof. Uh, uh, they find a truck driver with a truck full of seed pods and, they, and it ends with this whole, get me the FBI, seal off uh, Santa Mira, which is the fictional town where this takes place. <laughs> Back Locia. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, also, in that bracket, it's much less scary. The studio didn't like it because it was too uh, pessimistic and frightening. Because the way it was supposed to end was with that final shot of him standing there on the highway trying to convince people, screaming, you're next, you're next. Yep. We, we lose. Yeah, which is an incredibly powerful scene and really disturbing and a much better ending. It's... it's... <clears throat> It is not something that would have played well in the 50s, I don't think. No, no, it really um, wouldn't. So, uh, well, we'll get to that because yep. they, they, they sort of, um, they found a way to have it both ways eventually. But yeah, the, those bracket pieces were shot much long after the final cut of the film. And the mm-hmm. only person who's in them that's from the rest of the film is Kevin McCarthy. Yeah, the, the, three, other, actors, the other three guys who were in it, in addition to, like you say, Richard Deacon, who's best known as Mel Cooley from the Dick Van Dyke Show. There's Whit Bissell. Whit Bissell, who was from, like, Magnificent Seven, Soylent Green, The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh, and every TV show. Every TV show ever. He was on yeah. Falcon Crest eventually. On and, Star uh, Trek. Yep. Robert Osterloh, best known as Babyface Nelson from the movie Babyface Nelson. Hmm. Ah. So yep. Mike Nelson had an early film, huh? None of them are mentioned in the credits because, of course, this they were added, after, as you said, after the final cut, including after the credits Yep, uh, were, were written in. Yep. The big thing about this movie, now Kevin McCarthy and the author Jack Finney have always denied the rumor the story is a statement against McCarthyism or communism. And they yet... Just, <laughs> they just saw it as a thriller. Don Siegel believes that the it's pretty hard to ignore the references to... Uh, McCarthyism and totalitarianism. It's oh, yeah. interesting because you, and we'll get this when we talk about the movie, 
it is possible to see this both as being an anti-commie movie and an anti-McCarthy movie. In that it is yes. against it is against totalitarianism in either form. Yeah, so that's pretty much all the trivia I've got on uh, that that we really have time for. So let's actually let's dive into the movie itself. The lowdown. So I, I couldn't help but notice early on in the film, I forget what exactly is going on, but there's a magazine in question, and it says as seen in Colliers, and of course I went right <laughs> to, right to uh, Patton Oswalt for yep, that one. Serialized Fitzgerald and Colliers. Yeah, uh, let's go to an ether frolic. Yep, so yep. I, I thought it's funny that at this point in time, you kind of don't even get to mention the word divorce. Yeah. No, that's, the two that, main characters are divorced. Mm-hmm. The only word they use to describe the fact that they're divorced is the word Reno. Yep. Because <laughs> Reno is the city of divorce. Yeah. Due to some peculiar state uh, city laws, it was very easy to get divorced in Reno. Yeah. But you actually had to go there. I mean, heck, that, you even hear that in the song uh, Shuffle Off to Buffalo. You oh, know, that's right. So you when do. He know, when you know when he knows as much as we know, he'll be on his way to Reno while he still has dough. Yeah, that's you a know? that's a dark, dark song. It really is. And <laughs> I, I have Mary Little I, Nelly with a shotgun in his belly. It's like, a, huh? <laughs> Yikes! This movie did raise one question. I still have not been able to find an answer. It's driving me nuts. What the heck is spoon bread? I will tell you. Oh, you know? I do. I've made oh. spoon bread. Spoon oh. bread is, is... So we don't get this sort of stuff in the States much. Yeah? Um, you get it a lot in Britain. Uh, what actually... It actually had a note. Ooh, spoon bread. Um, it's a savory kind of dessertish thing. It's kind of like a pudding, like a British pudding. But uh, Think of it as like a corn souffle. Oh, okay. It's like that. Yep. It's just a throwaway line. You know, won't you stay for dinner, Doc? I'm making my spoon bread. Ooh. Like, oh, you're making your... Wait, what? Yeah, and it's not bread. It's actually, again, it's a savory it's thing. Like a but it's like okay. Yeah, it's like a British pudding. Huh. Uh, it's quite tasty. It's really good for you. It has lots of eggs and milk and butter in it. <laughs> wow. Um, but yeah, it's a very southern thing, um, okay. spoon bread. It's it's yummy. Except this isn't this doesn't take place in the south. It takes place in California. I know, but that, well, it could, mm. it's southern California. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay, um, fine. I personally like my spoon bread with some sausage in it, but I'm sure that's, mm. that's heathen, but there you go. Oh, um, it, I like it. Yeah. I like the fact that it is the 50s, and so you solve everything with a pill. My yep. kid is acting crazy. Here, have a pill. What is it? Don't worry. It's a pill. He's fine. Or a drink. Oh, here, you need a drink. Right. I better <laughs> have a drink. Have a drink. <laughs> that was actually one of my later notes. Booze solves everything. <laughs> oh, just just because I can't really imagine because the plot of this movie is so well known, but let's do a quick summary of the plot. Oh, yeah, the plot. Oops. The show. <laughs> yes, we forgot about that. Basically, in the original, it focuses on a small-town doctor uh, who, who's been away for a couple of weeks at a conference. He comes back, and there is this strange... Well, he doesn't know what it is. It's like a ma- like mass hysteria or something where people keep saying that they're, somebody significant in their life, their husband, their wife, their child, is, no, is, is acting different, is, is not their husband or wife or child. They have all the memories. They look the same, but... There's something wrong, something different. And as it turns out, this is not a, a delusion. This is an invasion. People are it, human it beings. It is are... a delusion. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is a fictional movie, so of course it is fool- a foolish concept. Ha, ha, <laughs> yeah. ha. Uh, that uh, they've been replaced by alien duplicates grown out of pods, big seed pods. Right. 
probably danger is uh, the, the, the pods can grow to physically duplicate you, but when you fall asleep, they absorb your memories and your personality. Uh, an interesting point that the um, the remake addresses, but this movie doesn't, is what happens to the original <laughs> body. Yeah, I have that in my notes too. Yeah, we we know that the plant, the pods grow duplicate bodies. They're very clear about that, but we never find out what happens to the original. In the remake, we see that they basically crumble up and turn into this weird gray stuff. Yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah. It's, uh, there's also, I was kind of surprised, there's some fairly racy humor, at least in the beginning, when, uh, oh yes, the doctor has also discovered that his childhood sweetheart, or his high school sweetheart, who went who's off been to, to Reno. Who's been to Reno and apparently has been living in England because she has a very faint, intermittent British accent. Jolly old chap. <laughs> As she's back in town and their romance starts to rekindle. And at one point they're talking and she, he, she says to him, is this your bedside manner? And he, there's this pause. He goes, no, that comes later. And it's yeah. like, ooh, naughty. Naughty, naughty, Miss Withers. Hey, 1956, that was pretty, that was pretty racy. And it basically, it he realizes more in the movie, more and more people start acting this way. And of course, the really creepy part is friends of his are saying, my wife, you know, is, has changed. And then a couple of days later, oh no, she's fine. Everything's fine. And you realize more and more of them are being taken over. Everything's fine here. Situation normal. Yes. H how are you? <laughs> yeah. It, so yeah, there's the plot. Boy, we, we screwed that one up. Yeah. The lowdown. So other things. Mm. Uh, I noticed that when the first body shows up, nobody asks where it came from. It's just, you know, hey, look, here's a body. Yeah, like, it's just on Jack's the uh, pool table. Um, the do uh, Miles and Becky have uh, this couple who's who's friends of theirs, Jack and Teddy. Teddy, by the way, is Carolyn Jones. Right, which is she's near pretty much unrecognizable. You would not, if you weren't looking for it, you would not see Morticia Adams in this. I had to go back and it's like, where I know she's in there. Who was she? Oh, well, because yeah. Carolyn Jones is naturally blonde. And Morticia Adams, of course, is black haired. So, yeah. And that's how everybody knows her. So, yeah. I will say that one of the things I liked about the this version of the film is the movie goes from like, leave it to Beaver to creepy in seconds. Yeah. and But it it's not jarring. It no. slides into it. Just little things... When they find they when they found the duplicate of their friend Jack, that's what the body they found is it's on the pool table, and they point out it looks so unformed. The feet, there's no details. It's the same height and weight as Jack, but it has no fingerprints. They don't really say, but it has like no no freckles or moles or imperfections, or naughty and, bits. Or no, <laughs> they, they don't say that, but you have to wonder. Well, it's a fifty. No, nobody had naughty bits in the fifties. That's right. Yep. It was just like Barbie and Ken down there. <laughs> But that sequence where, and it's done very quietly, there isn't like a huge musical sting, but where Teddy is look is staring at the body of Jack starting to doze off, and it opens its eyes. Yeah. And then she looks and notices, earlier in the story, Jack has cut his hand, and the cut appears out of nowhere on the duplicate's hand. Right. And she starts screaming, and honestly, that's when you kind of want to start screaming, because it's really creepy. It is. It is surprisingly creepy for a 50s film. Now, of course, you know, people who have seen, you know, Chainsaw, Hack, Murderer 13 and, mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. You know, there's nothing in here that's going to shock you. But the film is creepy. It manages after, you know, 60 years 
to still remain creepy. They do a really good job with the atmosphere. And one of the things that I like about this version, and I know we'll get to the other one, but I like better about this version is that we spend a little bit more time in Normalsville. Yeah. And there's plenty of time for the audience to go, oh, oh, um, my, my husband, I don't think he's really my husband. It's like, yeah, I think she's AZ Cray. And because you see, and it's like, he's mowing the lawn. What's that, not that about your husband? You know, it's like you, you have time yeah. to sit there and go, yeah, I think these people are nuts. That is and, a very big difference between the two. I know we're jumping ahead a little, but yeah. in the in the remake, you see the spores landing. You yes. see this strange thing happening. You know immediately something is literally wrong. Where in this, yeah, it's kind of implied, well, maybe people are just nuts. Maybe this yeah. is a delusion. And interestingly, you don't know. there's a psychiatrist in both movies. Mm-hmm. And in both cases, they kind of make, because I know psychiatry was starting to become a thing mm-hmm. in the 50s. Like that, going to see the, the, the shrink was becoming a thing. Um, it was, you know, there was still a... a um, stigma attached to it Big but it was, it was something that people like that's why she's like i don't want to go to a psychiatrist mm-hmm. well you know everybody's kicking and screaming but it's still like well that's the accepted route if you're cuckoo for cocoa puffs mm. but the way it's portrayed it's kind of like people don't trust it like it's a villain too mm. um you know we're talking about the red scare and all that stuff and they can sit there and claim that that wasn't in their minds all they want but uh yeah yeah uh, but i thought it's interesting that they're also kind of like yeah we don't trust psychiatry either so we're going to sort of portray that in a in a bad light too mm-hmm. um, but, but the, i mean the pods spread Mm-hmm. like communism yeah and everyone's the same that's like the whole like scare of one of the big parts about being scared about communism was like everyone's up being the same person nobody's different it's all against individualism and you know all that stuff we love about freedom here in the west freedom capital f capital freedom fries and, you know. <laughs> yeah i mean that line that the that once the shrink is openly yes he's become a pod that he says love desire ambition faith Without them, life is so simple. Like, <laughs> yeah, mean, that was again so creepy. And also, if you think about it, yeah, that's true. It, it's a lot easier with any out any of those things. It's also not human being human. Yeah, um, I thought it was interesting too that the remake, the seventies remake, does a big one eighty on one particular aspect, and that also has to do a lot with the culture at the time. Mm-hmm. This movie takes place in small town America yeah. because small town America was where it was at in the fifties. These suburbs was the place to be. It was getting out of the cities. The cities are are the rat race and the noise and the noise, 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 noise. Thank you, Mister um, Grinch. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was everything was it like all the TV was about the the suburbs. Now, admittedly, because of where they were shot, most of the suburbs happened to be in Southern California, uh, <laughs> even if they weren't really in Southern California, they, they were. Yeah. Um, but it was, that was a big contrast because the second film, which we'll get to takes place right in the middle of San Francisco. Yeah. Which is um, a, a big city and also a real city. It's a, yeah. dist- it's a distinct place. There's a lot of very identifiable architecture and such there. Well, Santa Mira is real. It's not no, a real it city, but the buildings are like well, actual fake buildings. It's a place, can... but I mean, there is no, San- I looked it up. There is no, no. town called Santa no. Mira. Well, back then they were always worried about offending somebody, and it's like, yeah. well, we don't want to make you know, the people of Santa Clara feel bad, so we'll or, make. Or they were worried about having to pay somebody. <laughs> you yeah. used our town name, Huntersville. Um, <laughs> there's also because of the the whole um, 
communist thing and the Red Scare, mm-hmm. but also like Max said, the, the the McCarthyism. There's definitely a feeling of trust no one except mm-hmm. these kids. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so no, there's definitely a man. yeah, you know, trust trust no yeah. one. Um, you, you can't trust anyone. You can't trust the family doctor. You can't trust the psychiatrist. You can't trust the police. You can't. You can't trust the, trust the gas man. <laughs> yes, you can't. You can't the, trust the guy running the gas station or the meter reader. Yeah, the evil gas man. Yes, because he might be Sam Peckinpah. Well, he can get in your house. Right. Yeah. Oh, true. There's just one scene where there's somebody coming in and it's all creepy. Da, 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 da. I'm just here to read the gas meter. Uh, so it is. Yeah. It's a spooky scene. Yeah, it is a spooky scene. One thing that, course, that also struck me is that sequence where the uh, the guy at the gas station hides two pods in their trunk. Yeah, and then he takes them out, and with a road flare, they burst into flame. Yeah, apparently these pods are really, really flammable. They could have used that. Well, I mean, they didn't. It wasn't until later that they came across the big pod manufacturing. Oh. Or they saw that they were being... They actually don't show it in the early film. No. Um, the giant fields of pods that are being done. They just show the distribution network. No. <laughs> Which is also really freaking creepy. Oh, it is so... And the thing is, the pods themselves, they look kind of cheap. You know, they don't look that impressive. No. But there is something about how simple they are and how they are just too big to be normal plants. Right. And it's really upsetting. And you see just people walking along with one of them, with one in their arms... Yeah, I thought the special effects for the time were actually surprisingly good. Mm. The the people like being sort of bursting forth from the pods is really gross. And it's yeah. like, you know, it's fake, but it's not like it's still gross enough and real enough to be to make to keep you from just yeah. going, well, it's so fake. Yeah, it's this is not like the gorilla in a diving helmet kind of effects. <laughs> from the 50s. I am Roman. Well, you are human. Yeah. The, this was actually, they were very convincing. And be, part of it is because they shot it really well. A lot of it is in shadow. They don't yes. show a lot of close-ups. Although yeah. once in a while, there are one or two to just give you the idea that these people, that they do look like the person. Yes. But the, it's, it's you know, they're covered with goop. Yep. Um, and it's just like and they bubbles. look like a... Yeah, well, you know, bubbles. <laughs> it's the cheapest alien of the 50s. Yeah. Um, the thousand bubble machine. And again, robot monster, because thank God I know some dialogue from that movie. Yeah. Um, I, I will say that seeing a pod in a 50 movie, of course, I expected it to wake up and say, feed me Seymour. Yeah, they do kind of look like that. Um, oh, and of God. course, I had so, to wonder, is it atomic? <laughs> <laughs> Man, we're just digging deep on this one. Seriously, that's from 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T. You, that's you, one that's worth watching. Um, thank you, Hans Conried. Yeah, that's one of the only times they did a live action. Well, no, I'm sorry. Lately, they, they've yeah. redone these. But it was a, a made-for original Dr. Seuss live action film. Like, I think he wrote the screenplay for I the 5,000 5, Figures and Dr. T, and it's it's okay. It's all right. It's not great. It has some but, fun moments. But it has Hans Conried in it, it and kind does. of anything with Hans Conried is kind of wonderful. So, yeah. Just um, thinking of other scenes that I thought were really effective, that one that just freaks me out is when he's, he's the doctor is going to find his nurse, Sally, who is mm. like, he says, the one person I can trust Besides, <laughs> oh. besides them, he goes to her house, and we know that she has a child and a husband. And says he says some instinct made me, you know, made me suspicious. And he goes around listening at the window, and he there's like four or five people in there, and you realize they're all pod people. Yep. And the she she's holding a pod, and uh, one of the people says, "Is the baby asleep yet?" And she says, "He will be soon, and there'll be no more tears." <laughs> It's like, ah! <laughs> yeah. And there, then there he is... says, here, take the pot. Yeah, yes, put it in its, put it in his playpen. 
Yeah. Like, wow. Yeah, and there's a creepy kid scene in the other film too. We'll get to, yeah, but, uh, yeah. which is actually even worse. Mm. But the same. Yeah. So I, one of my notes was that the film remains tense even though we know he escapes because the film starts by him saying, "This is what happened." Yeah. <laughs> We've already <laughs> seen that he got in, into some form. At least he's uh, in a hospital. He got to some form of safety. Right, and no one's standing there going, this sounds fake to me. Yes, mm -hmm. I think this sounds fake to me. No, they're all excited. Um, although, to be fair, there are points where the pod people who are supposed to be emotionless mm. are get a little excited. Yeah, they um, do. Some of them shout. Some of them seem to get upset. Even when, I know, spoiler, Becky becomes a pod person, <gasps> and she's yelling, he's here, he's here. She sounds really angry. Yeah, and the only thing I had against that was that she changes really quickly. Yeah. Like, he puts her down and says, here, wait here, I'm going to go see what's going on. And then he goes ahead and sees some, some more, you know, distribution going oh. on and comes back and she's a pod. Like, I don't even know where the pod was. Yeah, that, that, that's a point. that We didn't yeah. see any of them in no. the remake. They, you see that they have to be pretty much next to you. Yeah. But that whole scene, yeah. they're hiding in a cave in the hills and they hear music. Yeah. And they're like, oh... There's music. There are still people like us, and he go, and there's this brief moment of hope. And when you watch it, you feel this hope. It's like, oh, good. And he go, runs out to find out find these people, and it just turns out it's the truck with this radio on as people are loading pods into it. Right. And it's just like, oh. And this is why the end of the film, as originally shot, would have been oh. a real downer. Oh, because um, it is because he runs off, and he's. He's just gotten away from the town. He's out of the town limits, and he's hit the freeway. Apparently, there's only one. And there are all these cars, and he jumps into the middle of the road. And by, by the way, that was not a stunt double. That was Kevin no. McCarthy. And apparently, he was working on, like, two days of no sleep. Yeah. And they were actually worried he was going to fall over in front of one of the cars. Yeah. That was apparently a back road. It was like it was mm. part of the freeway, but it was a little used side road so they mm. could just sort of coordinate it off. And again, I, I do appreciate the fact that unlike most films of, I would say, even up through today, they did not shoot with a day for night filter, which I cannot stand. Yeah. Um, we talked about that in... Um, fistful of dollars it's like ah yes the depths of noon here and sort of, <laughs> yeah um yeah there's a couple of things that i think kind of don't work or are weird little hollywood tropes uh the fast working hypo for example oh yeah um, when he's escaping from his office and the people are there he's like aha sticks it in them and they fall over and it's like yeah. okay um, wow. I mean, if he had used the Vulcan neck pinch, I might have bought that <laughs> um and they also come to the conclusion of what's going on a little quickly that being said, the mm. film does move at a very good pace, and yeah. it's like it almost gets boring in the beginning. It almost, because you're like, what? There's, there's, he's back from a trip. Who yeah. cares? Oh, it's Santa boring. You know, whatever. I'm glad I'm in this little town. And what's that? Why yeah, is that happening? Just, uh, yeah, just as you're starting to get complacent, it starts <laughs> slipping in the little creepy images, the strange delivery, the weird wooden speaking of some of these people. And yeah, that it, it works really well. The, the cinematography is great too. The sequence yep. that they that they always use for the poster, where they're running through the alleys, and it looks like their shadows are chasing them. Yep. Because they kind of are. Yeah. Oh yeah, no! Although some. Oops, sorry. Go ahead. I said the print that I saw was obviously had been restored or something because it was yeah. a really nice print, and maybe it was after the it got taken to the the. Congressional Library of Great Films or whatever it is, yeah. um, and they, you know, they made a nice print of it, and that's the one that's available because it was, you know, for the fifties. 
a lot of these films, like in this film, $400,000, to be fair, I don't know what budgets were back then. But That's a fair amount of money. And all things considered, it's a science fiction film. Mm-hmm. Those were generally considered like drive-in trash. Like, we just want something for the kids to smooch to. And there's really only like a handful of films that were made in the 50s that were science fiction-based films that have any real merit to them. And this is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You, the problem with science fiction, of course, is it almost always involves some higher budgets because of things like spaceships or robots. And you or, have to try to make them not look stupid. Right. And usually they screw up. Yeah. Um, the handful of examples, this is one of them. The Day of the Earth Stood Still is another mm. one. My, one of my absolute favorite films, Forbidden Planet, which oh, how yeah. the hell that ever got made, I will never know. Mm. Because they spent mucho buco on that one. Yep. Um, there's actually even Disney animation, although Disney's not credited in it. Um, for that film yeah all the id monster is all done by disney animators um but you know there's again there's a handful of films and this is one of them and how they greenlit it i don't know but obviously it paid off because it made more than what six times its original price it made serious money so um do you have anything else on the on on film a no i think it's uh, time for us to move from thing one to thing two Brand B. Yep, 19. Best. No. <laughs> 19, Sorry, that's, yeah, that's I know, from the Brady Bunch. Yep. <laughs> that's yes. a deep one, okay. Yep. Uh, this one, 1978. Uh, we, this had more star power, although maybe not at the time, because well, right. a lot of these people weren't well-known, but it stars Donald Sutherland, Brooke Adams, who I don't really know from a lot of stuff. I kept thinking she was Karen Allen, though. Yeah, I thought she, she looks a lot like Karen they Allen. Have, they have, yeah, they do look similar. A, a young Jeff Goldblum. Very, very young. I think he's... No, no, he's not that young. This is, but he's uh, whatever they call it. He, he's new. <laughs> uh, Veronica Cartwright. Yep. Who we know from the as the only other woman in Alien. Also, she's in the Birds and the Right Stuff. Well, she's also from Lost in Space. Yeah. Oh, good lord, you're right. It's Penny Robinson. Yeah, so so we finally get Star Trek and Lost in Space together. Yes, because Leonard Nimoy is in this, very playing for most of of it, very not Mr. Spock. Although when he goes all emotionless. Um, When's that? (laughs) (laughs) About two minutes in the middle. Uh, Uh, It's directed by Philip Kaufman, who is mostly known as a writer. He wrote most of the Indiana Jones movies. Oh, he also directed the the oh. uh, right stuff up in the movie about the Mercury astronauts. I thought that was Lawrence Kasdan. Well, apparently, well, he may have been one of the writers, but sorry, Philip Kaufman did most of the character writing. Okay, mm-hmm. I think Lawrence Kasdan did the the script writing. Yeah. I could be wrong on that. Write in and tell us, won't you? Yes, do, do tell us what we've got. Uh, this one, the budget was about three and a half million, wow. and uh, which, by the way, most a lot of that was. <laughs> Donald Sutherland got like 10 times the money all the other guys did because he was the only one who was known. Oh, Nimoy was known, but he was, he was not a TV a star. actor. He was yeah. a TV actor, and he had, was known for one thing. The but like and the gross was the US gross alone was 24 million. Yikes. So it okay. made serious money. Well, and, I remember when it came out and I remember ads and stuff yeah. for it. So it was it was not one of those quickie, you know, slasher films that was again drive-in bait for the kitties or mm-hmm. for the kitties for the teenagers <laughs> yeah that was not that here five-year-old kids watch this that ah! is not a kids movie no. <laughs> uh there are a whole bunch of cameos in this movie including from the original movie both yeah. kevin mccarthy is in it uh, as as crazy man or not so crazy donald yeah. sutherland and brooke adams are driving and suddenly there's kevin mccarthy slamming into their car yelling you're next you're yeah. next 
And it's it's almost funny. It's Except, like it's kind of like ha ha until they turn the corner and then it's not funny anymore. Yeah, because he's dead and it's very disturbing. And uh, there's a lot of pod people around him. Yep. Don Siegel, the director of the first movie, is also in this movie. Oh. There's a sequence where. Oh, well, we'll get to. Well, Donald Sutherland and uh, Brooke Adams are trying to get to the airport and they're taking a cab. He's the cab driver. Oh, yeah. My one note for him is I love the little thing. He says, I have two people. I'm going to the airport. They're type H. <laughs> get it? Yeah. yeah. Are you he type H, Max? Both, both of Of course. Um, but uh, the thing is, Don Siegel, he's actually driving. And they're driving through San Francisco at night without his glasses. And he had almost none of his vision left. Oh, dear. Yeah, that's so. he looks very tense through it. He really was. <laughs> they could have put him on a trailer. Yeah. That's what they usually do. There's two other really surprising ones. It, right in the opening, you see a Catholic priest on a swing set. Yeah, what was that? That was in my notes. It's like, priest on a swing? What's with that? You know who that was? That was Robert Duvall. Why? Because he's apparently a friend of Kaufman. They worked on a, a movie together, and he just happened to be around, and he shot his scene... Uh, for the pre- they gave him a members only jacket. That was okay. it. Okay. He just oh. like, "Hey Rob, get on the swing." <laughs> I thought he was a priest and I'm like, "Why is there a priest on a swing? I don't understand." <laughs> it's just an odd sequence. And there is this homeless guy Harry who's playing a banjo. Now, right. Harry Harry is nobody famous, but the banjo is the music was performed by Jerry Garcia. <laughs> yep. <laughs> The front man of the Grateful Dead, Jerry Berry himself. That's him on the banjo. Okay. Because why not? Why not? Yeah. We'll, we'll come back to Harry because oh, oh, there was yeah. something I had. I've seen this film, but I, there's one part I totally forgot. And it was like, oh, oh, right, that thing. But we'll get there. Apparently, this is one of the Hollywood legends, but it's supposedly true. While they were rehearsing Kevin McCarthy's cameo, a naked homeless man recognized him, walked over, and said, the first one was better. <laughs> like, but we haven't made it yet. <laughs> and apparently the night before the movie's release, somebody, and no one would own up to it, put pods, based on the ones in the movies, all over the streets of Los Angeles. <laughs> Wait, Los Angeles or San Francisco? Los Angeles, that was where the oh, movie was Oh, before the released. opening, you mean? Yeah. Okay. Yep, and people got some people got so freaked out they thought they were real and they called the police. Okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Now, it's Hollywood, really? Why does anyone believe anything is real in I Hollywood? I don't know. And one last thing about the ending. Only the writer, the director, you know, Kaufman and Richter, and Donald Sutherland knew how the film was going to end. Oh, no. Veronica Cartwright was not told that Sutherland's character had been captured and became an alien. There's oh, spoiler. No. And when they filmed the ending in front of City Hall and Sutherland pointed at her and did the pod scream, that reaction of fear is authentic. <laughs> Man, you know, it's like, the, the, I mean, speaking of Veronica Cartwright, there, she would have this done to her again in three more years when they shot Alien because they did the same thing with the chest bursting scene. They didn't tell the actors. Oh, the only that's one who right. knew was John Hurt. 
And he's like, because he had this thing in his costume. And so he's laying on the table convulsing and everyone's like, wow, this is weird. And suddenly that thing bursts out. And if you look at the people, they're all like, ah! because they did not know. And Veronica Cartwright was one of them. Ugh. That poor woman needs to stay out of space. I'm just really? Seriously. Seriously. Stay out of science fiction. Go do some romantic yeah. comedies or something. So uh, mean. Seriously. Now, the plot of this one is pretty much the plot of the first one. The characters are a little different. For example, Donald Sutherland is... Is uh, God, I don't remember his David name. Bruce Band. Oh no, yeah, his name is da- I think his name is David. It's David. It is as opposed to Miles because he's, yeah, he's not a doctor. He works. He's a health inspector, <laughs> one of the most hated people in the restaurant world. But he is it, really good about making friends, isn't he? Oh God! But that there, there is a scene at the beginning where you're establishing his character, and it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. He's going into this restaurant that is trying really hard to be snooty French. And it's very clear that the the guy with the French waiter or French head chef is not really French, but faking the accent. Yeah. And uh, he reaches with a pair of tweezers into the soup, and he says, "What is this?" And they say, it is a kipper. He says, "No, it's a rat turd." It uh, is a kipper. Yeah, it's a rat turd. It is a kipper. All right. If it's a caper, and he shoves it right in his face, eat it. And, ah, and the phone can't. <laughs> well, later they're also describing the fact that the scallops are nothing but cut up skate. Yep, like it's and, all fake. And they had another. You know, they actually had uh, an investigator go and find him a rat in the yeah. restaurant. They're going to shut it down. Yeah, it's actually a really good way to establish who this guy is and what he does. And uh, the the woman here, who is Elizabeth instead of Becky, this is Brooke Adams, is uh, an assistant of his. Who I guess he's a lab worker at the health department and she is uh, is she married to jeffrey or i think she's just no i think he's just her boyfriend yeah because they talk about splitting up later and it's like well it's his house not our house it's right that's true um jeffrey however is a dink yeah he is the thing is the, the the interesting part is he's not a monster he's just kind of a jerk yeah it's like you know there she comes home it's like hi honey yeah the game's on <laughs> okay. yeah that, and that, that's pretty much it uh, yeah we also, as I said, <clears throat> one of the big differences is we the movie starts with we see these strange little organisms dropping out of the sky and take, yeah. starting to grow these pods on people on plants. So well, we, now see here we have we have two parts of the opening. I'm sorry, I want I sort of interrupted. It's two yeah. parts of the opening. I wanted to talk about them separately because when we're on planet ten or planet <laughs> Zeist, whatever you want to call it, yeah, um, it's vaguely effective. I mean, the things themselves are kind of neat, but it's plainly obvious that everything else is in miniature Mm. and we're supposed to believe that somehow they um work against gravity and fly into space which is like okay i don't know why this would happen but whatever Mm. but once we go back to earth and it's raining and they just show you like it's this clear stuff on plants that could just be maybe it's cold and maybe the rain is just beating Mm. up funny so it doesn't look like much and it's like okay that's kind of weird and then they show you a little closer up and it's like well here's a dollop of this stuff and oh here are tendrils coming out of it yeah And, and then they show like you said the pods are not just the pods they're actually like parasitic they're growing on the leaves of other plants so they show you exactly what's going on from the start, and it looks really good. That part looks mm. really good. And the other thing is, these pods have flowers. Yeah. And that makes, to me, that made it worse. Yes. But it also made it make so much more sense, because every everyone who smells them is like, oh, this smells wonderful. And, of course, it encourages them to take them home. Right. Oh. I agree. Yeah. So... 
and again he had uh david and elizabeth have a friend i think it's i think his name even is jack played by uh jeff goldblum who is a writer like the jack in the original and his wife uh, <laughs> who, who own a mud bath <laughs> yes who, who own like a spa and yeah. uh they're sort of half friends, half enemies with Leonard Nimoy, who is a psychiatrist. Although I got to say, this was so perfect for the time, the 70s. He is yeah. a pop psychologist. He is Wayne Dyer. He is, I'm okay, you're okay. He's one of those fad psychologists that just appeared everywhere in the 70s. Because as you say this, sorry, let me just uh, finish this part. The 50s psychiatry, yes, you're right. It was starting to become not just the purview of the criminally insane or what have you. It was beginning to get accepted. In the 70s, the stigma was really lifting and everybody was going to a therapist. Everybody was going to a shrink. And so many nonsensical ones popped up all over the place, too. Right. I, well, the two lo- the two notes I had for him were worst psychiatrist ever, because <laughs> as a psychiatrist, he's terrible. Oh, he really is. And uh, the other one was quick to the shrink. <laughs> like that's the first thing they think to do. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, what you know? Because in the first movie, they basically are like, huh, she sounds like she's not doing too well. You know, maybe if she just talks to my friend here, who mm-hmm. happens to be a psychiatrist, you know, maybe maybe he's you can help help soothe her or bring her down. Or quite honestly, because it's the fifties, maybe she he has a Valium for her because <laughs> that that was a thing. Um, but this time it was like, hmm, that's a weird story. Quick to the shrink poles. <laughs> that's um, the that is the other odd thing is uh, initially there is much more, it's much more believable that Elizabeth act might who is the first one he runs into because she thinks her boyfriend is isn't her boyfriend anymore thinks he's been changed somehow, and they're very good at making it seem like well maybe she is you know maybe this is in her head. Maybe well, see, this now, is a I, neurosis, except we've already seen the pods. Well, the other thing, too, is that I thought Jeffrey, as much of a jerk as he was, mm-hmm. changed a lot more yeah. than the people in the first film. Like, he's literally, like, not talking to her and staring blankly. And in the first film, at least, you know, Dad was still mowing the lawn. And yeah, stuff. they're much and more he, inhuman in this. Yeah. So I that one, I, I thought that the, the idea of it, like, the whole normalcy that was really set up well in the first film. They kind of like decide, well, we're not going to do that much in the sec- in this version. And they put a lot of extra time mm-hmm. onto the ending, which we'll get to. But yeah, uh, I actually liked the normalcy in the first film. Like we go right into, um, Hey, Jeffrey's weird. We go right into this weird book signing. I, it's supposed to be a bookstore, but it's like, I swear it's the size of somebody's apartment. I never mm. got the idea that it was a bookstore, but it was. Mm. Then the next thing you know, we're in the mud baths seeing a really uncomfortable scene <laughs> oh. of massage with Dennis Franz. I know it's not Dennis <laughs> Franz, but, uh, he too apparently had a nude scene on, um, was it Hill Street Blues? No, no, uh, no. Uh, NYPD uh, Blue. NYPD, yeah. Uh, where we got to see Dennis Franz's. What is up with Dennis Franz's <laughs> ass? Because <laughs> hey, he's um, no Zangief. Yeah. So it there's a, there's sort of like all this stuff thrown at us in this film where that isn't normal, but is still part of the normal world. But it's and kind other... of part of that culture, the San Francisco in the seventies, the sort of weird, yeah, the you know, odd spas and strange therapies and such. That kind of fit. 
But it does, but it's like it's specific to San Francisco. You wouldn't mm. have seen that kind of thing in, well, we never saw anything <laughs> like that in Boston. Mm. But like now, the one thing that that is also true is that now the suburbs are seen as, well, that's where the, the squares go. You know, yeah. nobody, nope, that suburbs where you know, the bedroom community started popping up, like where you live there, but you don't do anything there. Um, so that I'm sure that's why they picked a big city. Also, to be fair, it's going to be a lot easier for it to huh, blossom <laughs> yeah, yeah. and spread in a big city than it would be in Santa Mirror, which apparently is not connected to anything. No. Um, the, the other we're talking about the subtext and we talked about how, you know, the first one, which came out in the 50s in the middle of uh, the Cold War, in the middle of the Red Scare, that's <clears throat> sort of the defining tone. This right. is this is post Watergate. This is yeah. after Nixon and everybody is afraid of conspiracies and nobody trusts the government anymore. Right. And you notice one of the things is one of the first things that falls is the local government. And very clear that <laughs> this the State Department and City Hall and the police, they're all under control. They're like the first things to go. Well, and to it, be fair, the first thing that goes is the health department. Well, yes, the health department <laughs> goes quickly. We're screwed. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, even when, when he, there's even the line where uh, Jeff Goldman was talking about, oh, it's a conspiracy. You know, what, what's a conspiracy? Everything. <laughs> yes, Jeff Goldblum does a very nice job playing Jeff Goldblum. You know, I actually thought he was the least Jeff Goldblum I'd ever seen, and I was yeah. kind of sorry for that. It's like I, I missed that whole. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, sure. Now there's the eyeing and the ooing, and later there's the running and the screaming. You know, I I wanted more of that Jeff Goldblum, but at one point he is going around shirtless, and it's like, oh, get him a sandwich. Yeah. He weighs like ten pounds, yeah. um, and it is very early for his career. Um, but thankfully, we know that he'll be back in many other things, and yeah, he's yeah. always fun. Personally, I thought that one of the most enticing scenes was uh, Donald Sutherland in his sexy cardigan. Because <laughs> oh, that was also, a, it's like macrame was a big thing in the <laughs> 70s, and he's wearing this like mid-thigh length cardigan mm. at home, and it's like, um, did you have a wonderful day in the neighborhood? What is going on? Yeah. Um, one of the things that I thought was unfortunately bad about this film and this is not just to this film this is true unfortunately most bond films are this way no. uh, the entire film is looped i don't think there's any dialogue or any ambient sound that was actually from when they shot it uh, i listen to when i watch the movies for our show i wear headphones mm -hmm. and it's terrible like it's I, it ruins the performances because people have to like they're in a, now they're in a studio they're not on the set they have to recreate something that they said six uh -huh. months ago um, and it's just you know and this this one point where he's sneaking around the house to get Liz out and we're just glad that it being an old you know late nineteenth century San Francisco home doesn't creak once <laughs> and the reason it doesn't creak is because it's been dubbed. Um, but also, so, my God, Jeffrey has crappy security on his house. You see, there are bars on the window which are easily uh, avoided by simply breaking the window, reaching in, and throwing the latch, because apparently the bars only go halfway down the window. Well, you know, San Francisco was safer then, uh, I yeah. guess. Um, I will say that just like the first movie, um, the, the female protagonist, Becky, in the first one, Liz in the second, comes to her conclusions much too quickly that being said she's at least a scientist in this one mm. um so i can sort of but again i liked that that extra padding of normalcy in the first film and here we get into it real quick and like yeah. max said we see the pods we see the alien race coming from another planet so they don't try to like 
shy away from it. Like that's but not the, the other cultural part of that, <clears throat> and we as we see from uh, Jeff Goldblum's wife, uh, where she's talking, you know, she's talking about like chariots of the gods stuff, and like it's just like <laughs> when those spaceships came and those aliens came down to mate with the uh, apes and create human beings. And she yeah, just says I, it like that's that's generally accepted. And the way they look at her, you get the feeling, okay, this is one of her theories. She reads a lot of Von Dynekin. Yeah, uh, the scientific theories of Penny Robinson. Yeah, danger, yeah. danger, <laughs> danger. Um, I also wish that the the decision to quickly go to the shrink or, you know, quick to the shrink poles had been left to the next day. Like why that had, I mean, like you said, that was pop psychology and stuff was a big deal in the 70s but i wish they had actually again left that to the next day so we had a little bit of that maybe she's crazy part of it mm. um i wish there had been a little bit more of it but you know like you're saying this may have been more consciously set up to be a reflection of something in particular like don't trust everybody or you know government is bad and that sort of thing don't trust anyone over 30 we also find out i think too early that uh Nimoy or whatever his character's name Spock is one of the pod people and then of course what he is it's like oh sure okay (laughs) because it's not like he's emotional at all and all he does is like try to convince them that they're crazy Uh, you know and it's like oh no 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 bodies you're silly blah 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 but again all of it he's talking about he's trying it was so much the 70s pop psychology because he tries to bend and explain all behavior and all motivation to whatever paradigm, whatever model he is pushing. Right. He's saying, okay, yes, you think it's this, but it's not this, it's this. What will sell a book? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty um, much. One of, the th- one of the things that they the movie lets you misinterpret, which I really liked. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned in the first film that when the people are taken over by the pods, the pods take their memories and stuff. We don't know what happened to the original people. Yeah. Now in this film, we don't see that either till the very end of the film. Ooh. What we see is the evil garbage men because this film, <laughs> like there's garbage men, like every other scene. And we see this weird gray shredded material, which we assume is the pods. Yeah. After the people have come out, we later find out that no, that's people's remains. The bodies and- just crumble into this, like crumple up into this dried husk. Yeah, and it's really cool because they never come out and just say, that's what this is. Mm. You realize that all the times you've seen it in the other scenes, because you do notice it. Like, it's in the background, but the garbage truck, you see it. Because it's like, why is there a red garbage truck everywhere? And you realize that they're just, like, blithely picking up people's shredded, gray, Mm. cussed-out corpses everywhere is really creepy. Um, that works really well because um, one of my notes initially was, "What? Where are all the people going? You know, what? You know?" And then later, it's like, "Oh, oh, oh yuck!" <laughs> yeah, they're also much more explicit with the way the bodies come out of the pods. There's a yes. lot more writhing, screaming. It's a lot more disturbing, quite honestly. Yeah, and pod babies are really gross. Yeah, they're all <laughs> slimy babies. and covered with weird white fibers, and and they make these horrible sounds. Sadly, when we get fake blood, it is um, very fake. Yeah, it's like, oh, look, they spilled the KO syrup. Yeah, it's not as bad as Fistful of Dollars, but it's kind of close. A yeah. um, couple of things that, that, that I have to point out. I do think the movie is, is a little too long, and I think it's, mm. it's too slowly paced. Um, the end, like when I, I thought I remembered how the film ended, I did remember the actual very ending. But when I looked and it's like, okay, we're nearly there. And I checked the, the runtime. I still had 35 minutes to go. And it's like, what the hell? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, the first movie is, I think, 
an hour and 20 minutes, and this one's uh, an hour and um, 55 minutes. Yeah, it's much longer, mm-hmm. and I don't think it necessarily is... I don't think I don't think the it. length... No, I don't think the length is necessarily bad. I think what they chose to focus on doesn't help us yeah. any. Um, the other thing, too, is that there's a, there's one point where I just want to look at Donald Sutherland's character, David, and go, what the hell is wrong with you? So they're in... I think it's his home his apartment or whatever and he's like okay everybody i think we're safe he goes to sleep out on the patio and Uh, somehow misses the four pods that are right there that are actually fairly well lit from a nearby street light and it's like uh, one of which uh, is like two feet from him yeah now i will say it's cool to see how the pods work so he's sleeping and we see the tendrils go up and and this is also neat with the makeup is that every time somebody is about to fall asleep and there's a pod nearby whether we see it or not there's this sort of very very faint gentle fuzz on their Mm. faces yeah we know that they've been affected like the pods are already trying to reach into them um and sure enough you know this is happening to donald sutherland and then liz wakes up and wakes him up and they you know they all run away and he uh can only interestingly take an axe to his own pod before he leaves and finds out that they may be plant-based but uh they're just as gushy and icky on the inside as yeah we are. yeah there's plenty um, of blood and, and speaking of gushy and icky this is the part that i forgot so we're near mm-hmm. the end of the film yeah and uh, the whole point of, and they do this in the original film too, where it's like, well, how do we get from one place to another? Just act emotionless. Nobody will notice that mm. they don't ask questions. Okay. So they're walking around and something pops up where they just can't hold it in and they scream and run away. And of course the pod people chase them. So the man, Harry, the, yeah. the, the homeless man who plays the guitar has a dog as a lot of homeless people do. Mm-hmm. And apparently um, when you go to sleep next to a pod, you shouldn't be near your pet because this particular pod took the memories from and the form of both of them and you get this while admittedly fake rather effective man-headed dog yeah it just comes up and licks its tongue at them and it's like ah! i would descri- i that freaked me i remember seeing that in the theater and i almost screamed that was just yeah. such a creepy visual this man-faced a- dog yeah, and, it, and thankfully they do not linger the shot on it very long because no. it does not hold. You can tell it's a dog with a. It's way more disturbing. In the original, they just see a dog run in front of a truck, and Becky screams, right. "You know, look out!" Right. But this, yeah, that's yeah. and then you get the scream. Yes, yes. And this the, is very different from the first one. In the first one, there is no real alienness or otherness about the pod people, except no. for their emotionalness. In this version, they all can make this horrible, high-pitched, screaming, squealing noise. Which I can do, and which Max hates. <laughs> yes, yes. You call it the Tom and Jerry noise. It's very similar. Yeah. Um, and I, that's the one thing I remember mostly being creeped out about. And obviously, we've already given this away. At the mm. end of this film, it's the opposite. In the first film, it's the female protagonist who finally succumbs and is taken over by the pod. And in this film, it's the male protagonist. And poor poor Veronica Cartwright, she's managed to make it through the night. She's somehow still in San Francisco. Why? I don't know. And we see Donald Sutherland. And at first, we're sort of like, I guess he's acting normal. He wanted to go get something from his office. And he's like cutting out an article from the paper, which we see him do earlier in the Mm. film as himself. So maybe he's escaped. Maybe it hasn't affected him yet. And then he comes out and she's like, oh, David. And he just turns, points, his head goes back, and his jaw drops all the way. And he makes that noise. And it's the end of the film. And she starts screaming. And then the the camera zooms into his mouth. Yeah. Like he's, he's absorbing us all or he's whatever. Ugh. I want to guess that it's their really, language. Like, hmm? 
I'm guessing it's their pod language. Probably. Like that's how that's how you let them know. It when screaming. It sounds to us like Tom and Jerry. Yeah. And to them, it's like I found another one. It's an inc- um, it's incredibly creepy and incredibly effective. It's just really yeah. scary and inhuman. Uh, I also do like, you know, they they duplicate the whole scene of the two of them hiding in the of uh, Elizabeth and David hiding in the dark, just like Becky and Miles, and then they hear both of them. They hear music. It's a little more blunt in the remake where it, instead of just sort of generic music in the original he's listening he's hearing a bagpipe version of amazing grace that's the well, only song you can play on a bagpipe well well i always also figured that they're saving money and this is also when they're putting leonard nimoy in the torpedo to shoot him in, into into the planet hey you know he also became a pod person didn't he yeah, yes he did because <laughs> there were plants growing around spock's yeah, body yeah. so you know and then it's even more disturbing when he comes back and he finds that uh, Elizabeth has fallen asleep and he's holding her and he's whispering that he loves her and she crumbles in his arms. This is the first time we actually see what happens to the body. And then there's the pod version, stark naked, and that just makes it scarier, quite honestly, because she's so unconcerned. And again, that's also so inhuman. It doesn't... It means nothing to her that she's standing there naked. She's just like, you know... It's pointless to resist. What's the point? You know, relax, David. Come back. And Symbol just... to thousands of naked <laughs> women. <laughs> and that's when he runs off and disappears. He burns down the pod farm, which obviously is pointless. And yeah, then we and it's see... kind of a weird, like, semi-James Bond villain layer. You know, it's it's like, oh, I'll chop these ropes and the land, the lights will land. And actually, if you if you look carefully, you realize that the pod people get the fires under control fairly quickly. So yeah. it's even less useful yeah but it's just a gesture and then oh god the final sequence we, we talked about already what happens with him but it's the way you see the city yeah. where obviously everyone is taken over and there's this scene with all these school buses full of children <laughs> it is so awful oh god and i don't being... want to take a nap i don't want to take a nap. why do we have to take a nap in the middle of the day like <laughs> <laughs> and they're taking him into like the potatorium. Yes. It's just awful. So terrible. <laughs> it is so so great. It's so worse than put it in his playpen. It's like oh, they're field trips. They're taking the kids on field trips to Pod Central. Yeah. Ah. So, um, so I, I have to say real quick about the makeup when she's mm-hmm. being sort of turned into that husk. Yeah. I did not expect her to implode. The makeup worked really well. Yeah. And the fact that they show you at that moment that she's turning into that dry gray husk and you realize that what you've been seeing, they leave you to make your own conclusion. Mm. It's like, oh, those weren't pods. Those were the people. Yeah. Uh, really well done. But we are uh, we are heading to overtime here, sir, so we should probably uh, decide. The Roundup. So, uh... I gotta say, I think these are both really good. I think this is another one of the rare cases we've had where both the original and the remake are really good. I think, and, yeah, I'm gonna give a slight, slight nod to the original just for being a little bit better with pacing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the interesting thing is that they, I think, one of the reasons they remade it, which you touched on, is that the culture had shifted, mm-hmm. and while they pretended that this had nothing to do with the red scare and um mccarthyism and and or whatever it's so played into that that Mm. it's really hard to watch that film and not make that connection but there was another reason for that similar type of scare to be reflected in a film in the 70s Mm. and so they took that 
and used it while, without really changing the plot at all. Yeah. Except yeah. that in this one, they didn't do the bracketing parts. And, you know, if you, basically San Francisco falls in like three days. Yeah. And it's obvious. You can see why it would. It's just like, nope, forget it. You're done. You're it, done. It makes it. Yeah. And it makes perfect sense. Because the only thing th- I could think of is move to a desert. <laughs> you know, or, or the Arctic, maybe. Maybe they don't grow. Yeah. The, except these things can survive reentry. So God knows. That's true. They, these must be really friggin' durable life forms. Well, you know, a lot of life forms, they say, were there were parts of them that are on meteors and stuff. Mm, so, you true. know, the basic building blocks, these are fully formed. And they actually, the, the aliens speak at one point and say, well, this is what we do. Yeah. You know, our planet was dying and we just get up and leave and go take over another one and then move on. Um, but it really gives you the, there's nothing you can do. It is a very hopeless film. Um, you don't get any impression. Like, you you actually really identify with Veronica Cartwright and you're like, oh, oh, yeah. um. Yeah, and I'm in the middle mm. of San Francisco. I am not getting out. No. Nope. Um, oh, and they don't have quite the same dramatic speeches that they did in the original. But I do like when, uh, you know, Donald Sutherland looks at uh, the pod Spock. That's all I can think of him as. It says, <laughs> I hate you. And he just looks at him and says, we don't hate you. There's no, no need for hate right. or love. No. Well, it's like, yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing is that every single one of the people who changed in both films afterwards, like, no, no, I'm fine. No, really, it's better. You know, mm. there's no pain. You go to sleep, you wake up, you everything's is fine. Yep. <laughs> and so part of you is like, well, there are parts of my life that are no, wait, I don't want to be a pod. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this, yeah, again, I'm gonna say for pacing, I thought this film was a little bit slower in the yeah. 70s, but there are also. I want to say the peaks of creepiness are higher in this film. I think this. I think the second film is scarier. I think it's yeah. more disturbing. The first one, I think, is more subtle and more subdued yeah. and creepier. But the second one, I think, is much. It, it kicks you right in the emotions. Yeah. Um, I want to say though, for next week, mm-hmm. I think that the choice may be a little bit easier to make, and I could be wrong. Okay. But next week, what are we doing? I. I, so this is this is we're bending the rules just a, sort of a little bit because uh, we're doing a remake sort of kinda, um, kinda. but it's and, and this is a film that's been remade a number of times. I'm not going to go into the history and find out how many of them are actually the remake, <laughs> but we are going to start with the original. I believe it's 1952. I think it's version like of Godzilla. Well, 52. I'm saying because of the American version. Oh, right. Of oh. Godzilla. Oh no, not Godzilla. He will destroy the city. No, no, that's his way of making friends. Um, <laughs> so we're talking about the original black and white Godzilla film. Mm-hmm. Godzilla, um, king of monsters. Godzilla in a role that will surprise you. Um, <laughs> well, and, he's not everyone's friend in this role. And uh, which one of the many, many other Godzilla movies are we comparing it to? Well, now, to be fair, I picked this one because it's got Raymond Burr in it. Now, ah. was, we'll talk about that yes, next week. You'll find yes, out if I you see. don't know who Raymond Burr is yet. <laughs> Um, Raymond Burr is in the original Japanese. No, he's not in the original Japanese version. He's in the original Americanized version of the Mm. Japanese version of Godzilla King of Monsters. Um, I want to shoot ahead to another Americanized version. I want to go with Godzilla 2000 uh, that stars, unfortunately for him, Jean Reno and Matthew Broderick. Oh, wait, that's uh, 1998, I think. Was it 98? I thought it was Godzilla 2000, whatever. 98, whatever. Um, That bad one. I mean, that brilliant Uh film. That, that one where even the fans are saying, that that's not Godzilla. No, no, it's not Godzilla. Yeah. So we're going to yeah. uh, really 
take our critical hats and um, bind them to our heads, and we're going to nitpick the crap out of two giant rubber monster suit movies. Um, and we will decide who mm. is the reigning king of who is monsters. the true king of card games and monsters. In the mean, right? in the however, yes, though, I do want to point out. In the meantime, I hope you continue to listen, and you know you can find our entire backlog of nonsense at our website, maxmikemovies.com. You can also, we have a Facebook page, Max Mike Movies. Uh, we're also on the Twitter at Plort Max Mike Movies. And you can listen to us through your favorite podcast app, as long as your favorite podcast app is the Apple Podcast or Google Podcast. And send us comments and suggestions. So this series sure. was actually suggested by a friend of mine, Matt, uh, who said, hey, why don't you guys do a remake show? And we said, hey, why don't we steal his idea and do a remake show? <laughs> Uh, don't 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 kill my character, Matt. Please don't. Kill my uh, he he's one of my GMs. Um, so yeah, send us comments. Leave them on the website. Send us email to the us at macmikemovies.com email address. Uh, that's Max, not Mac. Uh, maybe I can edit that out. Um, and uh, otherwise, keep listening. Watch the skies. Keep listening you're because next. you're next. You're next. You're next. Max Mike Movies is a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.